morning, would you go ahead and please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be focusing on verses 36 through 39. And while you're turning there, we'll do a quick recap of where we have been in that chapter because we've looked at it for, for several weeks. And as if you were to go back and you were to look at chapter 5, you're going to see that there's this theme through that chapter as you look through the passages. And it's this idea that there's a focus on something old versus something that's new. For example, if you go look and you look in verses 12 through 16, this is where Jesus encounters a leper. Now, a leper is someone who has a skin disease, and ceremonially, they are considered unclean. And that was their old life before they encountered the person of Jesus Christ. And after that encounter with Jesus Christ, they have been completely cleansed. They're no longer an outcast. They have been healed of their disease. And then if you look at the verses where, uh, right after that, where Reed preached on Jesus healing a man who was paralyzed. The old life was that that man wasn't able to do anything for himself. And then after encountering the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this man has a new life where he can walk. He's been forgiven of his sins. And he has been made new. And we get to see the authority and the power of Jesus Christ in display in that passage. There was an old way of living versus a new way of living. And then if you move into Martin's sermon from last week where the focus was the calling of Levi. It was the calling of Jesus' disciples and he called Levi to come and follow him to leave a life of being a tax collector, being a person who was hated by his fellow Jew, and being a person who typically was involved in some type of extortion as they collected the taxes for the Roman government. And then he leaves that life and leaves everything behind and follows Jesus. And in the same sermon, Martin also began to talk about this, this uh, ceremony of fasting. The fact that God requires the Jews to fast. If you look in Leviticus 16.29, you're going to see that requirement where God says you're to fast one day out of the year on the Day of Atonement. And last week, he, Martin told us about how upset the Pharisees were that Jesus was even associating with these tax collectors. And as we move into this passage, as we move into this parable that Jesus is teaching, you're going to see Jesus use three word pictures to answer the question of why do your disciples, speaking to Jesus, not fast? Why do they not pay attention to the law, but even more, the custom of the Pharisees, which was that they would fast at least two times a day because it was a form of self-justification, a way for them to earn favor with God. And so we're going to see this, this old pharisaical way of focusing in on those who can keep the law as a way of self-justifying and also this new way where the kingdom of God 
has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And his focus is that we would repent and rely on his righteousness. And so we're going to see this focus of the old versus the new as we move into this text. So if you would, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read this passage together. Father, we come before you now to hear from your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart to understand. That we may be transformed by your word. Speak now, for we, your servants, are listening. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This is Luke chapter 5, verses 36 through 39. He, meaning Jesus, also told them a parable. No one tears a piece of a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. So, during my time, many of you know I used to work in higher education. And during my time in higher ed, I became in charge of a team whose main goal was to make sure that business processes on the campus were as efficient as they could be. And so we had a team of people, and our job was to look at business processes and to see where they could be improved. And I remember one specific time where we looked at this small paper process, one piece of paper. And after looking at the old process and trying to see where all the issues were, we found that this one piece of paper passed through 30 hands and required 10 different levels of approval. And then after we got done with that analysis, we came up with a renewed process, and that renewed process involved an electronic form that went through three people and could be approved with the click of a button. But with change, some people liked it and some people didn't. Some people liked the old way with the piece of paper and some people loved the new way. But there was this handful of people in the middle. And what they liked was both. They wanted to click and they wanted to approve and they wanted to to be able to kind of take that new process and just stick it on top of the old. And so the way that looked was they would get a notification through their email, they would go out and they would review it and they would approve it, and then they would print it out, go get the physical signatures, file it in a book, even though everything was kept up in a database. They were taking a new process and just sticking it on top of what was old. And we see that in this passage as we walk through the parable that Jesus is telling us. And what Jesus is saying is you can't take what is new and just stick it on top of what's old. 
You can't take the kingdom of God that has come in the person of Jesus Christ and what all that means and just place it on top of the old practices of the covenant. And so as we walk through this text, we're going to be looking at what does it mean for us that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see in this text is that you and I, what that means for you and I, is that we're going to have a renewed understanding of what we believe. And the way that that's going to happen is we're going to do three things. We're going to look to the words of Jesus, we're going to listen to what he says, and we're going to live out that renewed understanding of what it is we believe. We're going to look, we're going to listen, and we're going to live it out. Those are the three points, and I'm going to show you where those come from in just a minute. And so as we look at this, I want you to turn to, or look back at the Bible in verse 36. So if we're going to have this renewed understanding of what it is we believe, we must look to the words of Jesus. So in verse 36, Luke says this, he told them a parable. So already Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking, but he's talking to them in a parable. So why does he just not speak to them directly? Why does he just not say what he wants to say? Well, to answer that question, you've got to go to Matthew chapter 13 and verse 13. And as I go there, here's what I want you to remember. A parable is simply this. It's an earthly story that has heavenly meaning. That's a parable. And so why is Jesus speaking to them in a parable rather than just speaking to them directly? Well, Matthew 13, 13 says this. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And what Jesus is saying is there's, there's going to be two people, two types of people who respond to the message of Jesus Christ. It's going to be those who, empowered by the Spirit, are seeing and hearing and understanding. And they're going to be those that simply do not see. And they don't hear. And they don't understand. If you look at the Greek word for seeing, here's what, you, here's what, here's what it means. It means to pay attention to, to look to. It's a type of seeing that involves directing the mind to a thing to consider or weigh carefully. So Jesus is speaking. It's Jesus' words that we're reading. And what he's saying is we need to look to the words of Jesus. We need to pay attention to them. We need to weigh them carefully if we're going to have a renewed understanding of what our faith in Jesus Christ really means. Colossians 2.9, Paul says of Jesus, in him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And in Colossians 1.15, Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus Christ is God. He is God in the flesh. So when Jesus is speaking, even through this parable, you are listening, you are seeing the word of God. And so for you and I to have this renewed understanding of what 
we believe we have to first look to and weigh carefully the Word of God. And so some of you may be going in your mind right now and saying, that is very basic. So you're telling me, if I want to understand better what it is I believe, have this renewed understanding, I need to start with the Word of God. That's exactly what I'm saying. And it is so basic. And yet, we live in a culture right now where discussions about gender and marriage and what is right or wrong is being redefined by a standard other than the Word of God. We live right now in a culture that determines what sin is by what is accepted as normal. Last fall, Reed and I taught an adult Sunday school class, and we, we went through a book called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. Now, in that book, the whole idea behind that book is that you and I understand that things like lying and cheating are sins. We understand that. But what about gossip? What about talking about someone behind their back? What about judging someone because we think they're better, we're better than them? What about those types of sins? Those are the sins that the author is referring to as respectable sins because they're, they're the ones that we downplay. They're the ones that we excuse or that we don't even notice, even though in Romans 1, Paul describes people who are ungodly and unrighteous as people that are filled with envy, jealousy, slander, and gossip. And those are just a few of the descriptions that he uses. So for these Pharisees, many of the man-made customs that they created were considered to be at the same level of the Word of God or even higher. So for you and I to have this renewed understanding of what it is we believe, we must look to, pay attention to, and weigh carefully the Word of God. And what, but, but what is the result? What is the result if we don't do that? Well, part of the result is what I've already said. Gender, marriage, what is right and wrong, those things are completely redefined. But if you and I look away from the Word of God to determine what it is that we believe, we risk the, re the redefining of who we are and why we were created. We replace the priority of loving God and others with loving ourselves. And we miss the amazing grace of a relationship with the one true God and replace it with a religion that is based upon good works, good behavior, rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We have to listen. We have to look and pay attention to and weigh carefully the word of God to remember what it is that we believe. But secondly, we have to listen. We have to listen so that we can understand what is being said. Remember again in Matthew 13, 13, 
Jesus says, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear. The word for hearing means listening to, under, to understand so we can perceive what is being said. In verses 36 through 39, those pas- that passage that we just read, Jesus starts to go into the parable of the garment, the wineskin, and the wine. And remember the context is he is talking to these individuals, answering the question, why do your disciples not fast? And it's out of this context that he starts talking about a new versus an old garment. And what he says is, you don't take a a patch out of this new garment and cut it out and place it over the old garment. And the reason you don't do that is because that patch will tear away and it won't match. But then he goes into the wineskins and he says, in the same way, you don't take new wine and put it in old wineskins. Now, I had to go through and do an education process of my, for myself to understand what a wineskin was. And a wineskin is really often made out of sheepskin. And when you put new wine in a wineskin, that new wine has to go through the fermentation process. And as it goes through that process, gases are expelled and the bag stretches. So if you put new wine <coughs> excuse me, in an old wineskin... When that stretching happens, that old wineskin is brittle and it's already stretched beyond what it can do, so it bursts and you lose the new wine. So what in the world does that mean to us? What in the world does that mean for us today? What Jesus is doing in this moment is he is explaining the old covenant versus the new covenant. He is explaining an old way of living under the new covenant versus a new way of living under under the covenant of grace. So this old covenant is what we call the covenant of works. And you remember what this is. This is is God speaking to Adam. And he's saying, "If, if you want to have life, you need to obey perfectly. And we know what happens in that. Adam sins. But the promise to Adam was life, and the requirement was obedience. Perfect obedience to the law, but also perfect obedience to the ceremonial laws. One of those is fasting. And again, in Leviticus 29, that's where you see God say, fasting is required at least once a year. The rest of the time is voluntary, but this is the time of year on the Day of Atonement that fasting is required. So what happens on the Day of Atonement? What happens on the Day of Atonement is the high priest takes a bull and two goats. And he takes the bull, he kills the bull, and he uses the blood from the bull to pay for the forgiveness of his sins, the priest. And then he takes a goat, and he does the same thing. And it is the shedding of the blood of that goat that pays for the sin of the people of God. But then he takes another goat and he takes his hands and he places his hands on the head of the goat and he confesses the sin of the people of God and then he lets that goat go into the wilderness. What is the point of all of that? 
the point of that is those, this is, this is an old covenant way that the Jews were required to do before the coming of Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because see, when, when the kingdom of God came in the person of Jesus Christ, he came to earth. He perfectly obeyed the law, something you and I couldn't do. And then he voluntarily placed himself on the cross, the altar. And his body was sacrificed. His blood was shed. And so all of that day of atonement was pointing forward to a time when one would come in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who would step on the cross in your place and mine, and have his blood shed for not his sin, because he's sinless, but for our sins. And our sin would be completely removed because he is the sinless Son of God. All of that Old Testament, all of the ceremonial law, all the Day of Atonement were the ways under the Old Covenant that pointed forward to the covenant of grace that depended on the work and the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 said, says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the new covenant. Christ's obedience, death, and resurrection fulfilled what the killing of bulls and goats could never fulfill. And we see this in Hebrews 10, verses 11 and 12. If you're willing to turn there, I would love for you to turn there but I am going to read it because when you look at verse 11, you see the old covenant practices that we just talked about. And it says, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That is the covenant of grace. That is the new taking the old. That is the new over the old. Is that Jesus Christ gave a single sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of, the, of God. And one scholar says this, the fact that Jesus sat down after he ascended to the Father is proof that his work was completed. The ministry of the priests in the tabernacle and temple was never done and never different. They offered the same sacrifices day after day. This constant repetition was proof that their sacrifices did not take away sins. And what tens of thousands of animal sacrifices could not accomplish, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplished with one sacrifice forever. That is the Jesus that we claim to know. That is the Jesus who we believe in. Now, I love the illustration of the new versus the old garment. And I think the reason that I love the new and the old garment is because I can see myself doing this. Literally, I have an old sweatshirt that's really dirty and grimy. Maybe has a couple of stains on it. Then I've got a new sweatshirt that's brand new, just come from the store. And this one maybe has a hole in it. And I can see myself cutting out a piece of that new and just sticking out in the hold and just going on with life. And what Jesus is saying is you don't do that. You don't take the, the part of the new and just stick it on top of the old. 
And what R.C. Sproul says is so key. He says you cannot just take the kingdom of God and the arrival of Jesus and put it on top of the Pharisees' traditions. It will not fit. There was a new covenant. You cannot have Christ and squeeze him into your old life and expect that, and expect that to work. So the result of us listening to what God has said so that we can understand what he is saying is something that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is genuine change in your life that is empowered by the Spirit of God. And so one thing you can do is you can start asking yourself this question. What change has there been in your life since trusting Christ as your Savior? For some of you, it may have been a very long time ago. For some of you, it could have been yesterday. And maybe for some of you, it's not happened yet. But the question is, is what change has there been in your life since you started trusting Christ as your Savior? Ask your spouse. Ask your close friend. Or ask one of your children. So for you and I to have this renewed understanding of what it is we believe, we look to, pay attention to, weigh carefully the Word of God. But then we listen to understand what is it that he is saying. But lastly, we take those two things and we live out the understanding, our renewed understanding of faith in Jesus Christ. We live it out. And we see this in verse 39. If you look at verse 39, the core, the core uh, word in verse 39 is the word desire. Now, your version of the Bible in the pew, the ESV version, says this, no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is better. And I love that version, but the King James version, the King James version brings out a different, a different word in there that I think is really important. And it says, no man also having drunk old wine <coughs> straightway desireth new. For he says, he saith, the old is better. That word is straightway. He doesn't straightway desireth the new. Now that, that Greek word for desire means to intentionally choose or prefer. And so that verse is no one is going to automatically desire or intentionally choose the new wine versus the old. Why? Well, because they're used to the old. And the old is better. When you realize, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you learn about this old way of living versus this new way of living, this trusting Christ, relying on, relying on His righteousness and His work, instead of relying upon your own, that is, that, is, that is new for so many of us. And it's not something that is natural. And what I think Jesus is saying in this verse is that change is gradual. You don't straightway or immediately desire the new. 
But as you trust in Christ, as you put your faith in Him, as you come to worship each week, you're reminded of who Jesus Christ is, the kingdom of God that has come in Him, and the old way of living that you have left behind. And it is a gradual process that we desire less of that old way and more of Him. And friends, that is called the process of sanctification. The process of sanctification is that the Spirit of God is working in you and me in the life of every believer to make that person more like Jesus each and every day. That is sanctification. And that is something that will go on and on and on and we will continue to gradually change and be more like Jesus each and every day until we see him face to face. And I love when you, if you look to Jeremiah and you look to Ezekiel and you see what they say about this new covenant that has come in the person of Jesus Christ, they say these things. This is Jeremiah. I'll put my law within them. I will forgive their iniquity. I will give them one heart, a new spirit I will put in them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh. And Ezekiel continues and says, you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all uncleanness. All through those texts, God is the one who's doing it all. It's not us giving ourselves a new heart. It's not us cleaning ourselves up so we can move forward. It is God alone through the person of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit making us new each and every day. It is not our own work. I'll close with this. <clears throat> One of my favorite books of Tim Keller is called King's Cross. Um, it, is, it is one of my favorite books of, of Tim Keller's. And I have a story that I'm going to close with, but then a quote that I'm, that I'm going to use from that book. So Tim Keller speaks in that chapter of, of preaching a sermon on love thy neighbor as thyself. And he brings out the idea saying that God wants you to meet the needs of people with the joy and the urgency and the eagerness with which you meet your own needs. And so after that sermon, a high school girl came up to him and said, I was in the homecoming pageant last night and I came in second. And she said to him, are you saying to me that I should be as happy for her as I would be if I had won the homecoming pageant? And he said, that is a great application of the text. And she looked at him and said, Christianity is crazy. Christianity is crazy. She said, who does that? And then she continued and she said, is everyone in the world my neighbor? How could that possibly be true? It can't be everyone. I simply can't do that. And then he gives this quote right after. In religion, the purpose of obeying the law is to assure that you are right with God. You want to know exactly what you have got to do because you have to push all the right buttons. But in the Christian life, the law of God still binding on us 
shows you the life of love you want to live before the God who has done so much for you. It shows you how to serve God and others instead of being absorbed with yourself. You study and obey the law of God in order to discover the life you should live in order to please and resemble the one who created you and redeemed you. And you don't violate it or whittle it down to manageable portions by adding man-made details to it. This is life under the new covenant versus the old covenant. And when you and I have this renewed understanding, if that's what we really want, a renewed understanding of what is it that you believe, we start by looking to, weighing carefully the Word of God, we listen so that we can understand what's being said, and then we align those two together and we live it out. One of the reasons that I love that chapter in King's Cross is because of the title of the chapter. And the title of the chapter is called The Rest. And so what Tim Keller is doing in there, what Jesus is doing in Matthew 11, when he says those words, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The audience that Jesus is speaking to is an audience that is worn out from the treadmill of a religion works-based reality of trying to do it on their own. And what Jesus does in that moment is he invites them to leave religion and come into a relationship with the Son of God where the work that has to be done has been completed. And you rest upon that work and you receive Christ by faith. We hope you enjoyed this sermon from First Presbyterian Church in Starkville, Mississippi. If you want to find out more about our church and our ministries, please visit fpcstarkville.org. If you'd like someone to reach out to you and uh, maybe grab coffee or lunch to get to know us a little bit better, you can go to fpcstarkville.org connect and fill out the form there. And if you like what you're doing and want to see more, uh, go to fpcstarkville.org give to give.